Proverbs chapter 1. It is Mother's Day today. So I'm going to try and bring a special message for you moms. God's power for faithful mothers. God's power for faithful mothers. Verse 8. My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us now as we look at some of these things. And Lord, I pray that, uh, that our moms today are encouraged, and that these young ladies here in the room will learn a little bit more about what it will mean to be a godly mom someday. And Father, I pray most of all that you are brought glory by what's done here. In Jesus' name, amen. I think that that verse is kind of funny. My son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother. Take your shoes off when you come in the house. I don't want that mud tracked through my... How many of you had a mom with some laws? Did you have some of those? You could grow potatoes in those ears. Go back and take, take your bath again. Do you ever hear any of that? Maybe just me. Maybe I'm the only one who heard those things. But it is, it, there is nothing that we love more than our moms. And, you know, my mom went home to be with the Lord about three years ago now. And so now I'm actually able to talk about it without crying. It, uh, it, you, you all have been there? How many of you have been there? You know what I'm talking about. And when I look back at my mom, she really was the, the, a picture of a godly mother. Was she perfect? No. But she was a young girl that had been brought to the Lord. Um, she was out playing with my uncle. They were, she was 13 or 14. And a man came by in a limousine, and he was the president of a steel mill, steel company in New Jersey. And they were starting a church, and he was using his corporate limousine as a bus to pick up kids to church. And they picked up my mom and dad, and or my, I'm sorry, my mom and my uncle, and they came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as children. Isn't that a blessing? And so then mom went off to Bible college, and she met my father. And uh, they were married. And so now our whole family got to hear the gospel. We got to grow up in a Christian home. We always knew that mom and dad loved us. Um, was it perfect? Of course not. Has my home been perfect? Of course not. But what we knew beyond a shadow of a doubt was that mom and dad loved each other. Mom and dad loved the Lord. And mom and dad loved us. And I'll tell you what, if you have that foundation, you can make a lot of mistakes and God will take all of that and work with it. Amen? Amen. So, uh, the, your homes. Man, I hope that mom and dad love each other. I hope that your children know that. I hope your children know that mom and dad love the Lord. And I hope that uh, they know that, 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 that you, they, you love them. I'll try to speak English through some of this, not stammering around. Listen to this. Carl F.H. Henry said, One child lost to the faith usually becomes a family lost to the faith. And not many generations later, a whole community of unbelievers is set in motion because of some earlier neglect of parental duties. It is amazing the influence that mom and dad have on the children. And I would say that mothers have a very special place. Someone has said that God has entrusted to mothers the most precious gifts of God's creation, children. Children. And, you know, I know I'm getting older because now when I see these babies, I kind of feel like a grandpa. I just walked by this morning and was playing with a little baby. It's just, it's fantastic. And the wonderful thing is, like, you, 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 how many of you have grandkids? Now, we don't have grandkids yet. We're going to. And I can't wait to buy the grandkids, like, <laughs> what's that? Did I mess up somehow? Yeah, so we do. We do. You know, someone will marry these kids, I think, I hope. <laughs> um, I have faith. You know, I believe in miracles. It can happen. 
But, you know, one of the best things you can do for your grandkids is buy them a drum set or something, you know, to make up for all the noise that your kids caused you. Isn't it wonderful to buy noise-making toys for someone else's kids? That is such a fantastic thing. Um, it, this, this whole idea of children, when I was young, I didn't like kids. And I thought, man, what's it going to be like to have kids? I don't, I don't know if I want to have kids. I don't like kids. And then I had kids, and I still... No, <laughs> I, I had kids, and it's amazing how you can love your own. How many of you, you're kind of the same way? You didn't think you were going to like kids, then you had kids, and you... Some, just a few of us really, you know, sociopathic type people. Um, it is amazing what happens when you have children, how it changes you. It changes your priorities. It changes the way that you love. You're, it, it, you're capable of loving in ways that you never thought you were from the time that you first see that child. And moms have the capacity to do that so much greater than the dads do. It is so funny. It's like moms automatically know how to hold a baby. And then you look at dad, he's got this kid. You know, what am I supposed to do? It's just hilarious. And moms, God gave you that, that nurturing capacity for loving children. And it's, it's an amazing thing. Motherhood, it's the highest and noblest of callings. The little lives within the sphere of your influence will reflect your virtue and your character. Now, that's a sobering thought, isn't it? So if your children are like you, what's the church going to be like? If your children are like you, what's the school going to be like? If your children are like you, what's the culture going to be like? So what happens is parenthood, when you understand the influence that you have, it's a sobering thought. And honestly, it's a restricting thought. It changes the way that we behave, or it ought to change the way that we behave and the decisions that we make. See, these children, they need to be nurtured, protected, and guided, and pointed to Jesus Christ right now, not later. They need to be pointed to Jesus Christ right now. Look with me at Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, look at verse 13. And they brought young children to him that he should touch them. This is Jesus. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer or allow the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms and put his hands upon them and blessed them. Jesus Christ loves children, and I can't help but think about, you know, the abortion trade and what Jesus Christ would think of that, right? We've come into a world where mothers have lost their natural affection. That's what the Bible says would happen, and it would kill their own children. But those who become mothers, who actually love and nurture these children, we need to understand that Jesus Christ loves these kids, and He's put them in our hands for us to train, for us to instruct, for us to point to Him Amen? And the time to do that is right now. But sometimes, moms, do you ever feel overwhelmed? Do you ever say, I don't know. Now, the the church that I was just in, Matt Smith, they have seven kids. And the oldest is 11. And the newest is a month old. And the newest baby has a cleft palate. And so, not the cleft lip, but the cleft palate. And so, you can imagine it's very difficult to feed this child. And it's just that struggle... And I, I look at her, Barbie Smith is her name, and she's, she does great. 
with these. And that's why I say it's only a young person could do this. You know, I, I would have a nervous breakdown trying to corral all these children. But when you look at those kids and they, they sang in the service and they're just precious children. When you see them and you think of the work that it takes, when we look back over what it took to raise Lydia and Jacob, and it, it's just a lot of work to be a parent, isn't it? To do it well, it's a lot of work. And sometimes you moms, I'm sure that you can feel overwhelmed by what's going on. Just the, the keeping of the home and the rearing of the children and then trying to keep your own walk with the Lord and keep your own sanity while you're doing all of this, not to mention all of the demands that our culture puts on us. You really need the power of God to be a godly mother. You really need the power of God to do this. God knows and cares about the great calling and ministry that you have had. And honestly, the mothers of the Bible, they show us by their lives that God makes special provision for the special needs of mothers. So we're going to look at three different moms today in the Bible. And we're going to learn some specific power that God gave to each of them. Go to Genesis chapter 3, look at verse 20. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 3 and verse 20. And the first mom we're going to look at is Eve. Eve, and she is God's power to defeat Satan. God's power to defeat Satan. Now, how many of you know that Eve ate the fruit and, and brought trouble into the world? How many of you know that that's what happened? But that's not the only thing that God did with Eve. And that's what I want you to see this morning. Look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 20. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Now, you talk about pressure. Can you imagine being the mother of everybody? That's Eve. Now, how many of you ladies ever called your mom for some advice? Or another lady? Did any of you ladies ever do that? Who's Eve going to call? Can you imagine the first one? The first one. And you know, Adam, the, Adam was very blessed. He had no mother-in-law. <laughs> Isn't that an amazing thing? <laughs> Can you imagine how Eve felt and the fear, the anxiety? How am I going to do this? What am I? She is the mother and the first mother that ever exists. Motherhood for Eve must have been a frightening thing. And no one had ever been a mom before. Now, remember what had just happened. Because of her and Adam, sin had just entered into the world. And now they've just lost everything. They lost everything. They lost their home. They lost the garden. They're outside of the garden now. Their cherubim posted at the gates of the garden to keep them from going back in. Why? Because God didn't want them to be able to eat of that tree of life and live forever in a fallen state. The mercy and the grace of God. Can you imagine the guilt that Eve must have felt? She's responsible for sin entering into the human race. Then imagine the guilt she felt when Cain killed Abel. There, I don't, there's probably no loss greater than that of a parent losing a child. You know, it, it's not natural for a parent to outlive their child. Amen? And I can't imagine when Eve would reflect on the fact that sin had entered into the world because of her and Adam, that now even one of their children has been killed by another one of their children. But here's the good news. With God's curse, death, there also came the promise of a deliverer. Look at Genesis 3, look at verse 15. So this is where God is pronouncing the judgment after the fall. But look at the promise that He gives. He says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, that's the serpent, that's Satan, 
I will put enmity, and enmity means war. There'll be a battle. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So God pronounces right here that from the seed of woman, that God was going to bring a deliverer. So even in the curse, isn't God's grace and mercy amazing? Because here's what God told Eve. Yes, sin is going to come into the world now. And there's going to be trouble. But through you, through you is going to come the deliverer. Isn't that a wonderful picture of God's grace? But then Cain killed the boy through whom the deliverer was to come. And now look at Genesis chapter 3. Look, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 4. Look at verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son, and called his name Seth. For, said she, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. So here's what happened. God had promised her a deliverer. And so when she had Seth, this is, there, there is so much more emotion, feeling, hope, and promise in this verse than we can even imagine. Because the Deliverer was still going to come. That Deliverer, His name is Jesus Christ. And He came from the seed and from the lineage of Seth because God had allowed Eve to bring this boy into the world. It's a wonderful thing. The Deliverer has come in the person of Jesus Christ. See, God's power to defeat Satan is reflected in her hope for her children. This hope was in the heart of Eve as a result of the promise of God. And every one of you mothers, you can have the hope that your children can come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and that this world will be a little bit better because the way that you have been able to point that child to the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it wonderful that God has chosen to use people? God has chosen to use people and God has intended godly mothers to help shape these children and point them to the Lord Jesus Christ and equip them for His service. So the first mother on earth had as her greatest hope that her child would defeat Satan. How much more should a mother today have a similar awareness and hope that their children could grow up to reject and defeat Satan? What a wonderful hope that is. The next mom that I want you to look at is Jochebed. Jochebed, go to Exodus chapter 1. And I hope that after this morning, you'll look at Eve a little bit differently. Aren't you glad God doesn't throw people away? Man, I love that. I want to ask you if any of you have ever messed up. I think that we all have. Isn't it wonderful that God, even though He knows that we're sinners, still loves us. He still came and died on the cross to pay for our sins. He loves us. Look at uh, Exodus chapter 1 and verse 16. This is Jochebed, God's power to overrule circumstance. And what a circumstance this is. So this is Pharaoh, verse 16. He says this, And he said, When ye do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women, and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him. But if it be a daughter then she shall live. See, God has a purpose and a plan for every child. Isn't that wonderful? You young people, God has a purpose and a plan for you that is specific, it's unique, and it's for you. You don't have to be like anybody else. I've always thought it's funny that all the nonconformists look alike. 
You ever notice nonconformists? Remember when the Kurt Cobain thing was out? You know, they, all these nonconformists, they all had stringy hair, flannel shirts. You know, they all wore the same clothes. They all conformed to the nonconformists. It's crazy. And what we end up doing is we want to be like the people that are around us. It's funny. I get to travel, and you'll go into a community, and you'll see everybody wears... There'll be a certain style of shoes that everybody's wearing, or maybe the young people aren't tying their shoes at a particular time, or maybe they're not wearing socks, or maybe for a period of time, they'll buy the long jeans and roll them up. It's like all you 1950s uh, people, right? Where's Dan New at? He must be in the overflow. Because they they probably didn't make jeans long enough for you to fold them, did they, Dan? That's right. But when, when you go into a place and you see that people tend to want to be alike, young people, God didn't intend for you to fit in. He intended for you to bring Him glory. And sometimes fitting in will bring Him glory. Sometimes you're going to need to take a stand. And that'll be different. Now, it doesn't mean you have to be weird. How many of you have ever known some Christians? They just looked weird. You know what I'm talking about? Just you know, if I start describing it, there might be somebody here who looks like that. So I'm not going to describe it. But here, 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 Jesus said, don't be weird. <laughs> How about that? We're a peculiar people. That doesn't mean we, you know, we walk around just being weird. God has a unique plan and a unique purpose for every child. You know, you can't accomplish that by being just like the world. You can't do that. And what Jochebed understood was that her son, Moses, that God had a special plan for Moses. Can you imagine even dreaming that God would use your son the way that God used Jochebed's son, Moses? What I love is the way that God worked through this whole situation. Someone said Pharaoh had decreed that the male children should die and the mother defied even the command of the king and determined that the child should live. So right from the beginning, the battle of right against might was fought at the cradle. Can you imagine if the king came in and told you you had to kill your child? You know the people in China live that way? You're only allowed to have one child. There are people... Bill Nye, the science guy, he just said just recently that he thinks it ought to be against the law to have more than one child. What do you all think about that? crazy. It's crazy. Why did Pharaoh want to kill the children? Because he saw that Israel was getting to be too strong and he didn't want them to, to take away his kingdom. And what I love is what God did was he had the one who was going to take away his kingdom raised in his own house. Because God has a plan and God has a purpose. And Jochebed believed God more than she feared the king. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that's exactly what she did. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, look at verse 23. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. They just loved their son. They, they loved their son more than they were afraid of the king. I wonder if we as parents could say that. We love our children more than we're afraid of the government. We love our children more than we're afraid of the culture. We love our children more than we're afraid of what the neighbors are going to say or what even our parents are going to say. We love the Lord, and so we love our children in the Lord. We love them the way that God wants us to love them. And that's the way Jochebed was. It was an act of faith 
in the fact that God would be able to overrule her circumstances. Her reverence of God was greater than her fear of man. So how did God overrule what Pharaoh had done? Jochebed was able to see her son live. She was able to see her son not only live, but be educated and fed and raised by the one who had wanted to kill. It's an amazing thing. And not only that was they needed a, they needed a nursemaid. They needed someone to raise the boy. And who got to do that? Jochebed. Jochebed. God's power. God was, Jochebed was able to see her son live. Her son received the best education. God made it possible for Jochebed's influence to remain strong in his life. And the fear of Pharaoh that he would be overthrown. The one who would overthrow him was raised in his own palace. Isn't God great? Moms, I wonder if you believe God that way for your kids. Regardless of what the culture says, whatever they're supposed to do. You know, people are so crazy now. They're saying that you shouldn't, you shouldn't name your child right away with a boy or a girl name because they need to choose their gender. People are crazy. They are just crazy. Can I ask you a question? Now I know that we're not the most educated people in the world. How many of you know there's a difference between a boy and a girl? Any of you know that? Oh, my goodness. People are crazy. Don't let your boys, you know, bite their sandwich into the shape of a gun because he, whatever. See, we have gotten a culture that is so soft and it's so crazy. There are people that believe that we ought to allow someone to come in here and do us harm. Jesus told his disciples to sell their garment and buy a sword. Why? To defend yourself, to defend your friends, to defend your community, to defend your culture. That's who we are. And moms, it's okay to raise your boy as a boy and your girl as a girl. How many of you know we need godly ladies in this world? We need godly ladies. And God has a special plan for godly ladies. You're vital to God's work. We need men who are men. We don't need wimps. We don't need gender confusion. We have parental confusion. We need men who know what a man is. We need women who know what a woman is. Amen? And so the culture for you moms, if you read some of these magazines, you watch some of these television shows, they're going to confuse you. Now, let me be very clear. We don't hate anybody. Amen? We do not hate anybody. We love everyone. And God's plan for a man is to be a man, and God's plan for a woman is to be a woman, and it will be better for you if you do that. I've got to say it again. The suicide rate for transgender people is 40%. Is it love to help them continue in that? No. No. It's love to come alongside them and tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ and that God has a wonderful plan for their lives and God can help them. God can heal their troubled minds. Now, let me tell you something. When 40% of a group of people are killing themselves, there is some trouble in those minds. Is that fair? If we love them, we'll help them. And violence against people and all of that, we are 100% against that. Amen? Say it out loud. Amen? Amen. We are 100% against any kind of gay bashing or harming of people who have gender confusion. They need the love of Jesus Christ. They need strong men and strong women to show them what a strong man and strong woman is supposed to be in the Lord Jesus Christ and love them and help them. But we have a culture, moms, that's going to tell you, don't discipline your children. Let them choose what they want to do. Is there anything, is there anything more frustrating than watching a parent take a two-year-old through a, a buffet? Do you want this? Do you want, is this what you want? Is it? They don't even know what it is. 
There's two. Right? So we have a culture. We have a culture that wants to give the children anything they want. When everybody knows that when you provide everything for a child, give them everything exactly what they want, it destroys the child. So maybe the people giving you that advice are not really your friends. Amen? We all need rules. We all need structure. All of us do. So moms, have the faith to trust God more than the government, more than the culture, more than even your community, if you have a community that does not believe in the Word of God. Just believe God. God did that for Jochebed. There's a third mom, and her name's Bathsheba. And we all know the story of Bathsheba and David. David, when he was supposed to be off fighting a battle, he had sent his men to fight the battle, and he saw Bathsheba, and he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then he even had her husband killed. Horrible sin. Horrible sin, especially from a king of Israel. And so Bathsheba became David's wife. And we know that God pronounced judgment in that first child. God took that first child. The second child was a young man named Solomon. And Bathsheba was able to raise Solomon. So we have seen Eve, and God gave her the power to overcome Satan. We've seen Jochebed. God gave her the power to overcome circumstances. And now here's Bathsheba. God's power to change a life. God's power to change a life. So that we know that, that this story is a sordid story. But if you look at 2 Samuel, go with me to 2 Samuel. Chapter 12. You know, I don't want to linger too much on the cultural issues, but I want to re-emphasize what I said a minute ago. We have a culture that says if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, that that's hate. No. It's hate to allow someone to continue in a lifestyle that will bring them destruction. Right? If you love them, you'll love them. And even if they don't change, you love them. But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We're to love people. And we have this weird idea in our culture that if you disagree with a behavior or a lifestyle, that that's not love. How many of you think it's love to allow your child to take heroin? Is that love? No. No, you'll try to keep that away from them. Why? Because you love them and that heroin is harmful to them. There are lifestyles that violate the Scriptures. And if they violate the Scriptures, they're not good for that person. And so if you love that person, you'll help them to see what the Scriptures say about that lifestyle. But look, if we're going to genuinely be Christians and genuinely love people, this culture is going to get worse and worse. There are going to be more people seduced into lifestyles that are harmful for them. We don't need to, to, to wall up a compound. The Bible says that we're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. And we're supposed to be demonstrating the love of Christ out in that world. You don't do that by endorsing false doctrine. You don't do that by endorsing evil behavior. You do it by loving people and speaking the truth in love, even when that's going to cost you something. Amen? We can't do that by being hateful. 
If we're being mean and abusive to people, that is not any way to lead someone to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, now, here's the deal. You all know that. But there might be a guest here that doesn't know that's who we are. So when I make those statements about those lifestyles that are harmful, I don't want anyone here to think that we hate anybody. We love them. We love them. All right? Bathsheba. Look at uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 24. And so this is right after the other child had died. Did I say, I'm sorry, it's 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24. And David comforted Bathsheba his wife and went in unto her and lay with her. And she bare a son, and he called his name Solomon. Now look at this. And the Lord loved him. And the Lord loved him. I believe the Lord loved the child he took. Took that child right into his presence. God's power to change a life is seen in how God is able to forgive great sin. Let's look at how God did that, that process. Go to Psalm 51. Are you glad God forgives sin? So this is David's prayer after his sin with Bathsheba. Verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me throughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. This is so vital, verse 3. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. You know, it's something that's really important for us to understand. Well, you can't come to God in an arrogant way. God, accept me just the way I am. You have to endorse my sin. Is that what David is saying here? No. I acknowledge my transgressions. Verse 4. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He's a sinner from the beginning. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from Thy presence, and take not Thy Holy Spirit from me. Remember, this is before Jesus sent the Holy Spirit in the New Testament that is never taken away from you. Verse 12, Restore unto me the joy of Thy salvation, and uphold me with Thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors Thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto Thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, Thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of Thy righteousness. O Lord, open Thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth Thy praise. For Thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it, or would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. 
What is this? This is David after his sin, acknowledging his sin to a holy God, begging for forgiveness, for righteousness, for cleansing, and for a happy life. Do you know what's wonderful? All of us who have failed, all of us, and I think that means all of us, right? All of us. God's mercy is so wonderful. His forgiveness is so great. His blood is able to cleanse us from all sin and make everything new. That's what God did for Bathsheba. That's what He did. God's power to change a life is seen in how God is able to help a mother to forgive. I love this story. The story is told of a godly mother in London whose daughter had run off into sin. She went to her preacher with a burdened heart, not knowing what to do. He asked her to go home and get as many photographs of herself that she could find and bring them to him. She returned with them, and at the bottom of each one, he wrote this simple message, Come home. He placed them all around the city, in the places of sin where he thought the girl might come. One night, the wayward girl entered a bar only to find a picture of her mother and the message, Come home. When she read the message... She knew her mother meant it and would forgive her. She made her way back home, and as she opened the door, she found her mother's arms outstretched. The girl's mother cried out, The door has never been locked. I have been looking for you, watching for you, and praying for you. That's a mother's forgiveness. And that's the kind of forgiveness that we get from our Lord Jesus Christ. God's power to change a life is seen in how God is able to change us. Proverbs 31. Look at Proverbs 31 with me. Look at verse 1. The words of King Lemuel, the prophecy, what does it say? That his, that his mother taught him. The prophecy that his mother taught him. Lemuel means unto God. This is the name that Bathsheba had for Solomon. She gave him to God. And then she taught Solomon what a godly mother was supposed to be. Has anyone here ever heard of Proverbs 31 and the virtuous woman? Have you ever heard of it? You see, this passage is a collection of advice he received from his mother. God allowed her to be remembered as a great and godly woman instead of as an adulteress. Praise God for His forgiveness and for His grace. I want you to think about something. Every young lady that's been taught what a virtuous woman is has been taught by Bathsheba, a woman who had failed greatly, but who God forgave. Isn't that wonderful? You see, it doesn't matter how badly you have sinned. God's grace is so much greater than your sin. It is so much greater. His cleansing is absolute. His love is unlimited. His grace is free. His mercy is available to you. Isn't that wonderful? Now, don't raise your hand on this. But how many of you, when you look back at your past, there are things that you're ashamed of? Those quiet times when you're in the dark and you close your eyes and all you can say is, Oh God, and the shame comes. Do you know when you confess that sin to the Lord Jesus Christ? When you give it to Him, He cleanses you. He washes you clean. The Bible says He takes that sin and He casts it as far as the east is from the west. And He remembers it no more. I love this thought. That at those times of shame when I go back to God, and I confess that sin again that I have confessed to Him before. 
If I was able to hear his voice, here's what I would hear. What sin? What are you talking about? It's gone. It's gone. Have you been forgiven? Have you asked the Lord to cleanse you, to save you? Have you placed your faith and trust in Him? I started this message by asking this question. Moms, do you ever feel overwhelmed? Do you know what we've seen today? God's power for faithful mothers. The power of Eve to overcome bringing sin into the world and yet being the mother of all living and the deliverer coming through her. The, the power that God gave Jochebed to overcome her circumstance when the entire government of the world, the known world that she would have seen, wanted her child to die, that God was able to help her to save the life of her child and to raise up the deliverer that would come. And then Bathsheba. Do you know who came from Bathsheba? Jesus Christ Himself. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He did that for us. If you're living in the past, if you're living under the weight of past sin, take it to the Lord Jesus Christ. He loves you. He wants to save you. He wants to give you a new life. Will you come to Him? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father,